Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Still here vibing out in the DriveHeebler.com studio. I'm James Ward alongside Jimmy Cook, Eddie Garrison on the ones and twos. You're listening to Query and Company. Query is in Portland, jealous of him right now, but we're holding down for him. And as much as we talked about JT, we're going to invite somebody else on right now who has written a lot about him. I thought wrote a phenomenal piece in the Indie Star. I'm not supposed to say that, I guess, as a rival, but hats off to my boy Nate Atkins for writing a great piece, and we have him on the line. So, Nate, how you doing? Doing good, man. We've uh, been on the same story, I feel like, for 17 years, even though I think it's been <laughs> five weeks or so, whatever it's been since... Uh, since he showed up and went on the pup list, and here we are, and we got another what four weeks of winter because the groundhog saw its shadow here in Indy. So uh, buckle in. So I'll start with the discussion that we've been having in the media room when I've been winning this argument, by the way, for the listeners out there before <laughs> Nate brainwashes you with all his football knowledge. Um, we talked about how important it would be or wouldn't be for JT to be in the backfield for Anthony Richardson's development. I've started to lean more towards, hey, Mobile quarterback, Shane Sykin scheme. You can scheme up some of the yards to offset the production of a great running back, and maybe it wouldn't hurt you as much as having an immobile quarterback. But I know you, Nate, really value great players and what that means for any system. So if you want to explain your thinking and why you think that I'm wrong, and I could be, honestly. (laughs) Yeah, well, it has been fun to banter back in the media room. And uh, back and forth. And I'll say, like, first of all, like, I, I absolutely uh, appreciate the value of, you know, the Shane Steichen scheme, the Shane Steichen approach, which is to have a mobile quarterback who changes the math on how defenses have to defend the run. The idea being, obviously, uh, you, like, you, you, the quarterback's not handing off, so it's not, you're not playing with 10 guys in the run game. You're playing with an 11th guy who is that ball carrier who also could hand off. And, you know, so I, I appreciate that a lot. And obviously we saw work last year with the Eagles, uh, with Jalen Hurts and Miles Sanders, and they led the league in rushing so much that they could run basically two-to-one ratio against teams in the playoff and run them out of it. And so, you know, so on one hand, there is there is an argument that, like, that system is, I think in, in, in general, that system is, you know, is successful. And if you're having to pick one or the other, if it's, you know, can you have a Lamar Jackson type of quarterback with an average running back or, you know, a Jonathan Taylor with, you know, a pocket quarterback? Yeah, I think you'd probably lean the the mobile quarterback and and hope from there. But what I always am looking at is, like, what if you had both? And I feel like people are just going a little too far and saying, like, you know, because there's a world where you can run the ball pretty well with just a quarterback, that therefore you don't need the running back. And, I just don't know that history has really backed that up as we go back and look through this outside of teams that had just an absolutely dominant offense in every spot, which was the Eagles last year. So you go back to like the Bears last year, you know, that uh, Justin Fields had one of the best uh, run games, quarterback running seasons that, that we've seen in a long time. It's pretty much him and then Lamar Jackson back the year he did it and won the MVP. Well, Justin Fields it did not have that. He had efficiency in the backfield, but he didn't have that same explosiveness and in volume and all of that. And the Bears, for as many big plays as Justin Fields ripped off, they were outside of the top 25 in total offense that year. Now, maybe that's an argument for why running backs overall aren't that important. But the Jonathan Taylor we saw back in 2021, like I just feel like people have kind of forgotten just how dominant he really was that year. Uh, That was the year he finished with 500 more yards than any other back in the NFL. It was the most dominant single rushing performance uh, that season. And it, it it's totally, I, I think if you look at that in, in the scheme and, and the Colts blocked well, but that was a player that went way above scheme in a way that I haven't seen a scheme elevate a player to that level ever, because it's the most dominant rushing season for rushing champ in a decade. And I think the thing that people are missing is that like, if you can create natural lanes for a running back with an Anthony Richardson, like we saw in that first game against Buffalo where they had some huge holes for Deion Jackson and Evan Hull, what would it then be like if the player he's handing off to to those lanes 
could run 439 in the 40 at 226 pounds with a lead change of direction? What if that was the player who in 2021 had five runs of 40 plus uh, yards in the NFL when no other team in the league had even three? Like, there's been no scheme that's been able to match what Jonathan Taylor did that year from the running back position. And so some other teams have done it where they've hodgepodge the quarterback with the running back like the Eagles did last year. But what, it, like, I just don't know why you would have to, you would need to settle for a lesser running back just because you have the elite quarterback, especially when that quarterback is a rookie. Quarterback has not played very much. So, he, like, it's a big leap of faith to me to think that. Anthony Richardson can just do all the things Jalen Hurts did in his third year in the NFL. Uh, well, actually, his fourth year in the NFL, I should say. And uh, so, to me, it's just a matter of, like, I think we've gone too far away from just understanding the value of players over plays. And no doubt, Shane Steichen, like, this, the last thing I'd say here is, like, Shane Steichen's scheme, it's very impressive, and it's going to make the players he has better but that doesn't mean you don't need good players. And the Eagles know this because they went out and traded a first-round pick for A.J. Brown. That's not because they didn't think Shane Second was good enough. It's because they dreamed about what could Shane Second do if we give him the very best we can find. And all of a sudden, an offense that had six Pro Bowl players, including a 1,200-yard running back and Miles Sanders, that was able to reach the Super Bowl. So if you then take the Shane Second scheme here and you give him a talented athletic quarterback like Anthony Richardson, that's a nice place to start. But if he has none of the other pieces that he had along the offensive line, tight end, wide receiver, running back, you know, you're expecting something that I just don't think is very realistic. Nate Atkins with us, covers the Colts for the Indy Star. Nate, when you looked at the 53-man roster and the you know little adjustment, fine-tuned moves that happened in the subsequent days, when you sat down and looked at everything that's present on this roster, we'll take John and Taylor out of it because he's going to miss the first four games of the season anyway, still being on the pup. Is there enough around Anthony Richardson to not guarantee but ensure a, a proper development or, or a fair development in the rookie season. We've been calling for the reps all offseason, and he's going to get those. But with what's around him, is there enough there to ensure that this is a reasonable progression for him over the course of his first season? Well, it's always important to remember exactly what they're looking for out of this season, which is like you said, progression, development. It's getting him reps in situations that he's not been in that much before since he's only started 13 games uh, in college above the high school level. So some of it is like they're welcoming some of the challenges that will come. But I think there's no doubt there's going to be immense challenges, and not just because he's a rookie uh, and hasn't played a lot, but because there isn't a whole lot around him at this moment. That's why I think Jonathan Taylor's important is that if there was more around him at the other positions, you know, proven veteran players, depth at those positions, you would feel good about the idea that that Anthony Richardson doesn't have to be the hero, that this isn't an injury away from a disaster situation like the Bears found them in with Justin Fields his rookie year with no talent around him. But right now, I just think the combination between not having Jonathan Taylor and the risk of injury up front on the offensive line could put you in a situation where it's going to look like what I saw in Philadelphia at the joint practices where obviously Taylor wasn't out there. They had uh, Brian Kelly coming in and out with Danny Pinter, who's now on IR, and they did not have Will Fries, and they started a right guard that they then cut this week. Uh, that was so bad that like they, they couldn't run anything. I think he Anthony may have attempted four passes that day. It was constantly whistled dead, and that's a situation where like you don't want it to be that difficult on the rookie because at some point like he he's going to take hits and risk injury. And I'll point out he's had injuries in at Florida and in high school because of the talent that was not around him, and that's a dangerous spot because. You know, you need him out on the field. It, the number one thing they have to have is this kid healthy, obviously, for just protecting him, but also so that he can be, do the practices in the games to get the reps that he needs. And I just – it's a little scary to me. It's like if Jonathan Taylor's not out there, what was happening in the Eagles practices, and granted that, that defense knows that offensive scheme better than anybody, but they were just converging on Anthony, letting him hand off to the running back, and letting their safeties just cover that ground and step up and tackle them after four or five yards because while Deion Jackson and Evan Hall are, I think, you know, improving young players who have third down skills, they don't have any of that explosiveness that we we're talking about with Jonathan Taylor. Zach Moss ran a four six five forty, so he's not going to bring it either. 
And so what you're trying to do here is pretty much have a rookie quarterback handed off to kind of these guys who should be number two or number three backs, which would be fine if the offensive line is dominant, the tight ends are dominant, and you have two elite threats at wide receiver that move, that force teams to play too high safety. I just don't think they have that formula right now. And the scary thing is that if you have an injury to Michael Pittman Jr., Quentin Nelson, Ryan Kelly, Braden Smith, the backups at those spots, I, I just don't think are ready to go at all. So uh, it's some of it was natural growing pains. It, it just wasn't going to hit the ground running, you know, in year one and just be incredible. But I think what they have to watch out for is a couple injuries at the wrong spots get you in a situation where the reps Anthony's getting aren't quality reps. They're either painful reps with hits or you know, he's bailing on pockets early or he doesn't trust his receivers. You don't want quarterbacks guessing and internalizing everything. That's how Justin Fields looked his first year, and I think that's the thing they have to watch out for. Well, Nate, I appreciate your time, man. We'll have to let you go, but I just want you to know I won the argument because I'm on the radio. I'm the co-host <laughs> today, but no, I appreciate you so much, man. Also, the mentoring on the beat, all those things I don't take for granted, and I'll catch up with you soon. Yeah, for sure. Well, there's a reason why they have you talk for three hours and I get to talk for 10 minutes. So <laughs> you were killing that. I'll, I'll let you kind of get your uh, encore in and, and tell me why I'm wrong. <laughs> All right. That was Nate Atkins for Indie Star. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Still here having a great time in the DriveHubler.com studio. I'm James Ward alongside Jimmy Cook, Eddie Garrison. You're listening to Query & Company. Our next guest, Andy Staples, covers the college football world that is ever-changing four on three andy how you doing well you you didn't have sanford and cal being in the acc on your bingo card last year i did not (laughs) i feel like every day i wake up i'm like wow that's a lot of work for a person who covers the college football world so i guess i'll start there andy what is it like when you're constantly having to basically update and recalibrate your map and also whatever your coverage looks like because of the teams that are going to be included not included in different conferences at this point, it, it, I don't even know if it matters anymore. Like this is this this is the the last dumbest version of it. I think. <laughs> I mean, yeah, no, it'll probably get dumber. But like when, when the the talks of this first trickled out, and you're like, the ACC's talking to Cal and Stanford. It's like, no, there's no way that's not going to happen. And then the, it goes on further. They keep talking, and you're like, oh, they're going to take less money, so this is going to happen. And SMU is going to take no money, so this is this is definitely going to happen. Uh, but yeah, I mean, at this point, there's nothing they can do that I wouldn't believe, and there's nothing they could do that I wouldn't, you know, just automatically adjust to because they've done so much crazy stuff in the last couple of years. So I know, Andy, with all the games that were on your radar, number one on the list was Nebraska and Minnesota. A <laughs> Big Ten is back! <laughs> yes! So, I don't know if you even saw that game. What was your just take? Because we are oh, in I Big Ten country. Game. Go ahead. I'll let you go. Uh, it was a slobber knocker. End all <laughs> slobber knockers. And look, it, Nebraska has now lost 20 of 24 one-score games. That was supposed to be done with the with the firing of Scott Frost, but Matt Rule first game, same result. It just I I don't know what you do. Their defense played really well, and like the idea of Minnesota running the ball, I think they averaged two point two yards a carry. I think it was like twenty five carries for fifty five yards. They uh, it, it's it's wild that they won a game like that, but. The turnover margin matters. I mean, there was a Jefferson's had a horrific interception right before the half, and then another really bad interception as they were trying to run the clock out because Nebraska had the lead for most of the most of the second half. And I just, it, it's amazing to me that they found another way to to blow it because when you play defense like that, you're usually going to win. And so if they can figure out how to cut down the turnovers, I actually think they could be okay in the Big Ten this year. But they have got to to not just hand the other team the ball. They, they did it five times last night. Andy Stables with us. Andy, I don't want to spend too much of our conversation on conference realignment, but because of the news last night, we have to address it in a number of different ways. I know that James already asked you one question on it, but you had a 
great perspective that you had put on Twitter, and I want to get your clarification on it slash your information on it for those that didn't catch it. But with the additions of Cal, Stanford, and SMU for the ACC, is this move a sign of stabilization for them or a defense move in case other members bolt in the coming years? Oh, it's pure defense. This is pre-backfilling. So here, not to get too in the weeds on the ACC's contract with ESPN, but basically they have 15 members, or they, they entered today with 15 members, now they have more. But they had 15 members, 14 full members, and then Notre Dame plays all the sports except football. And basically, if if there was a point that they dropped below that number, ESPN would be allowed to reopen negotiations and cut what it pays them per year for their TV rights. So what they did is they just added three schools. Ironically, well, it's not ironic. It, I mean, it is completely, you know, it, it tracks completely. There were three no votes for this expansion. Clemson, Florida State, North Carolina. Clemson, Florida State, North Carolina are angling to get out, have been ang- angling to get out for a couple of years. And basically now, if they leave, ESPN can't cut what it pays the ACC. In fact, it now is stuck with a $72 million a year more bill for the ACC because the, the way the contract worked is if they added anybody, you had to add you know that, that much of a share. What's funny is Cal, Stanford, SMU aren't getting that. Cal and Stanford are getting a really reduced share and won't get a full share for 10 years. SMU is taking $0 for nine years. They've got a bunch of big boosters that are just paying and saying, you know what, it's okay, you don't need TV money. Just be in the club. But the thing is, like, the second Clemson, Florida State, or North Carolina has a chance to leave, they will be gone. I need some boosters in my life <laughs> to make me live a certain way, you know, beyond my means. Because I, I saw that too, and I was like, SMU, what? What, what is going on? Like, the, the, the random basketball school that I kind of know? Like, that was very unique. Oh, but I, James, 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 you're young. Hey. <laughs> SMU was good at football at one time, and it was a magical time called the 80s. And <laughs> what, when was this? They, they paid for all their players. They had Eric Dickerson, you know, future future Colt Eric Dickerson. Yep. Um, so they, they were very good in the Southwest Conference, and then they got busted by the NCAA for paying players. They got the death penalty. They're the only school that ever got the death penalty. Iconic. And it, it yeah, wrecked their football program. They were not invited to the Big 12 when the Southwest Conference broke up. So SMU, TCU, Houston, and Rice got the short end of the stick, and they got kicked out of the club. And so they've been working ever since to get back in the club. The the difference with SMU, and to a lesser extent TCU, but the difference between them and and some of the other group of five-type schools is their boosters are richer than God. Like, they have tons of money. Money's never been their problem. Well, now they come to a, a, a situation where money can solve their problem. And so they finally got to use the one thing they had to fix the problem. I'll tell you what. A high school coach told me once, us young kids, we don't care about anything that happened before we were here. So and I'm, <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> well, no, in all seriousness, I do find it fascinating that they obviously had that sort of agreement kind of go through last night. But I do want to pivot to, you mentioned TCU, they're going to be – Hosting Colorado, Deion mm-hmm. Sanders, the most, I don't know, just either with him or against him, that kind of coach. So what is your take on that overhaul they've had in Buffalo and just the idea that they're going to be able to be okay, according to Deion Sanders, be more than okay? I don't know if they're going to be more than okay, but okay would be fine. They were awful last year. They were terrible. It was the worst roster in the Power Five. So if they're just okay, that is a massive improvement. And that's that's the disconnect with Deion Sanders. You've got all the casual folks who, you, like you said, are either for him or against him, and they think that either he's going to go 12-0 and or he's going to lose every game and that anything that isn't like 9-10 wins is a complete failure. No, if, if they win four games this year, it's a roaring success. Like, that means Dion's doing a really good job because it's very hard to flip a whole roster like that. They obviously brought in some good talent, especially 
what the, the, the Louis luggage that, that Dion brought. But the problem is you can't find a lot of good big guys in the transfer portal. So on the lines of scrimmage, on the offensive defensive lines, I'm a little worried about them. They have a very tough schedule, starting with TCU, which played for the national title last year and is going to be really good again this year. I don't, you know, I, I think if they just improve by, by three, four wins, like they're doing a great job. I don't even expect them to go to a bowl game this year. I, I, that, I think that's asking too much. If they do go to a bowl game, build the man a statue. What's the national pulse in your eyes of, let's say this is a two-year, three-year stop at, at Colorado. It, this is a stepstone of where he wants to go, right? Like, like, like this isn't permanent home where he's just going to build a full power and stay put there. Is the national perspective that he would like to one day end up at a bigger school? Am I reading too much into that? No, I think he would. I mean, he wanted to be at a bigger school than Jackson State. Too. Right, right. <laughs> so, so Colorado is in the Pac-12 this year. They'll be in the Big 12 next year. Like, being a, being good in the Big 12 is good. Like, you, you can be a, a playoff team. That's, the playoffs expanding to 12 teams next year. Like, if you're good in the Big 12, you can be a playoff team. Whether you win the championship or you're the second-best team, like, you, you can be in the mix. But – to really compete for national championships, you have to be in the Big Ten of the SEC. So that would be the, the probably the guess is if he gets Colorado going is, is that somebody in the Big Ten of the SEC will hire him. Because to be perfectly honest, if he wins at Colorado, you can win just about anywhere. So Andy, I would be remiss if I didn't ask about the player that's coming to Indiana and will likely have a really big game, Marvin Harrison Jr. of, Ohio, of the Ohio State. Um, what is your take on him and how good he is? Because we heard a lot about him. You've seen him, I would assume, play in person, at least work out, whatever. How close is he to being one of the best, you know, if not the best prospect you've seen sort of coming out in, in, in recent memory? Oh, he's the best receiver prospect in a while. I'm trying to think of one in the last five years that, that's been kind of more perfect. There, there, I, I, I'm struggling to think of one. You know, Devontae Smith was obviously great, but he's so small. Um, you know, Marvin is big. He's fluid. He's smooth. He's got incredible body control. It's, it's really all the above. And it's, it's crazy because, you know, I, I'm sure Colts fans who saw Dad play so much probably were shocked the first time they saw Junior play because he's so much bigger than Dad. But he's got all the same attributes, <laughs> just in a supersized body. Like it's it's pretty crazy. So uh, it's it, it's amazing to watch him play. And the the thing is, they're so loaded. Like Emeka Abuka is another first round receiver who plays alongside Marvin Harrison Jr. And and that's that, that's just been Ohio State's receiver room for the last few years. Is it's just stacked first rounders on top of each other. We know that. For week one, Andy Staples nice enough to take some time with us, but we know that for week one, Colorado TCU is going to be on display. And we also know that from a headliner standpoint, LSU Florida State Sunday night is a great way to cap off week one. I know there's Monday games too, but it's the headline name going into week one. As you look around at just Saturday slate, what are two can't miss contests in your mind obviously for the most part a lot of us we're going to have the multi-screens going on we're going to be consumed as much as we can but if there are only two games we could lock into what would those two games be in week one i think boise state washington's going to be a lot of fun because that's a it's a washington team where michael Penix jr led the nation in passing yards last year he's so smooth throws the prettiest ball in america they've got very good receivers they've got good pass rushers but boise state's got a pretty good defense and so it, it'll be It'll be a challenge for Washington to win this game. We'll, we'll kind of see where Washington's at because Washington potentially could challenge in the Pac-12 for, for the title there. And then at night, you've got uh, North Carolina versus South Carolina in Charlotte. And Drake May is obviously, you know, we, 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 we know the Cardinals are tanking for Caleb Williams. Somebody's going to get Caleb Williams, and then probably the next pick's going to be Drake May, who's the quarterback in North Carolina. He's a he's an interesting one because he is not surrounded by the, ta- the kind of talent that Caleb Williams is. Uh, the guy who they thought would be their best receiver has been ruled ineligible by the NCAA. They're still hoping that they win an appeal, but I don't think they're going to. Their defense is not great. Meanwhile, South Carolina beat Tennessee and Clemson at the end of last season. The offense looked incredible with Spencer Rattler, who 
remember a few years ago, we were saying, oh, Heisman frontrunner, potential first-round draft pick. Well, neither of those things anymore. He's in his fifth year of college. But when he turns it on, and you go back and watch that Tennessee game from last year, when he really turns it on, he's pretty amazing. So I think that one could be a shootout. That North Carolina-South Carolina game could could be a uh, very, very high-scoring affair. So, Andy, Georgia starts their title defense this weekend. They have Carson Beck in there as the quarterback, the new starter. How much pressure do you think it is on him to perform and live up to the expectations of who was before him, Stetson Bennett? And also, what would it mean for Georgia to three-peat and cement themselves as that first modern team to do so? Well, if you've seen Georgia's offensive line, you know there will be no pressure on Carson Beck whatsoever. <laughs> probably until probably until they play the SEC championship game against Alabama or LSU. Maybe when they play Tennessee. But – yeah, he, he's he's not really under any pressure because all he has to do is hand off and, and throw to a wide-open Brock Bowers. But uh, as far as the three-peat thing, it's hard to do. I mean, there's a reason nobody's done it since Minnesota in 1936. But, I mean, th- if you want to talk about just pure roster construction, there's nobody like Georgia right now. Even Ohio State, even Alabama, it just isn't anybody as deep on the line of scrimmage as Georgia is. They've, they've really built it up on both sides of the ball, and that's the difference. I mean, the team with the best big people wins, and <laughs> it's not complicated. What do you make of Notre Dame from the national standpoint? When you look at their schedule, I understand the first real test or barometer for where they are is going to be in a couple Saturdays when they host Ohio State and Notre Dame Stadium. But Oh, no, the first real test is next week at NC State. I'm not trying to fault. That's poor of me to get him, Andy. Get him. Get him. That's poor of me to fully overlook NC State. I, I, big picture for Notre Dame. We'll, 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 we'll remove my my insult to the Wolf Pack. I will eat crow. Uh, big picture for Notre Dame this year, from your mind. They're pretty good. They have a very hard schedule, which is which is the problem. Is they they've got Ohio State, they've got Clemson, they have the aforementioned Wolf Pack, they've got USC, and you know. They finally have a quarterback that they really like in Sam Hartman, but I, the problem is I still don't know if they're deep enough to be able to survive that at 11-1 or 12-0, which is what they'd have to do to make the playoffs. Man, you're bringing up some guys I watched on QB1 on Netflix, <laughs> Sam Hartman, Spencer oh, Rattler. Yeah. Like, That's right. Sam Hartman with, uh, with Will Greer's dad as his coach. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's crazy stuff. So I'm curious to know, Andy, as a guy who was obviously huge into college football – how do you consume the sport when you have to follow so many different storylines? Are you, you know, three screen, four screen? Is it multi phone? Yeah, multi view. <laughs> is it the phone, laptop, iPad? What's your lay of the land when the games get rolling? I'm experimenting with multi view because that came actually at the end of the NFL season last year. So college football's regular season was already over when the multi view came out. Uh, so I'm experimenting with that. Not sure I can handle that much on the one screen. I like having one screen with sound on and then multiple screens beneath it or below, you know, on the coffee table or, or however I set it up. Sometimes I'll do it or I'll have a TV and then I'll move one of my other TVs into that room, but I'll have that with the sound off. And then I'll have my iPad and my laptop also with games on, but the, with the sound off. Like you have to be the, the best, most competitive game to, to, for me to listen to you. How often does the plug get pulled on one game and it gets booted for another one in that rotation on the main screen? <laughs> I, it, well, it happens every halftime, and, and the rotation of it, it gets weird once, once one goes to halftime because you've got to move that to the least important screen and then and bump everything else up. But, yeah, usually when something stops looking competitive, you, you bring it down and then you put something else up. But, like, I'll give you an example. Last year, early in the season, North Carolina played Appalachian State, and – North Carolina kept pulling away by like two or three touchdowns, so I kept moving it down. And then Appalachian State kept – I think Appalachian State scored like 44 points in the fourth quarter. <laughs> and the final was in the 60s. Like, it was insane. The game was nuts. <laughs> so I had to keep moving it back up. So that's – you know, I, it's one of those things where I, I – and all of us sports writers will alert one another when, when one goes a little bit crazy. Like, hey, if you're not watching this one, put it back on. <laughs> So I want to know, because we made this joke earlier about, you know, husbands giving their wives or vice versa, giving their husbands, hey, I'm a football person. 
I need my season desist. Is it a little bit easier because it is your job to watch all these games? <laughs> so did, did the excuse of land is one, good in one, your family or, or no? Think one would think. <laughs> but last night I'm taking notes on on Florida, Utah, and on Minnesota, Nebraska, and then I in, somehow managed to spend two hours helping my daughter with uh, with her English homework, which was pronouns, and her uh, Latin homework. <laughs> Latin? Oh man, this girl's going to a good school. I, I learned no Latin. When I was well, so, I keep telling her that like the Latin class is going to help her in the English class because you're going to learn your parts of speech better. Sure, but there you go. The Latin. We're only two weeks into Latin, so we're going to we're going to wait for the, the the benefits of that. So you mentioned that you did watch the Utah Florida game. Obviously, Utah really humbled them. What does that say about maybe the roster that Anthony Richardson was working with last year and how you evaluate his performance in that lone season as Florida starter? Well, I live in Gainesville, so what you've asked is a nuanced question that, that will be uh, debated on bar stools around here for about six <laughs> hours tonight. But it's not the talent that screwed them last night. It was the coaching. They, they actually Fair. were talented enough to win that game. They were sloppy as hell. Like when you get a penalty for having two number threes on the field on a punt return <laughs> and you got to give the ball back to Utah at a key juncture in the game. And then later in the game – you put two number threes on the field again, and then you take them both off and wind up having – I can't figure out if it was eight or nine guys, but it was not 11 on a field goal block unit. <laughs> like, you can't excuse that. It's ridiculous. Um, as far as what Anthony played with, because because of the transfer portal and the, the rules in college football now, the roster this year is very different than the roster last year. But the roster Anthony played with didn't have any dynamic receivers. We, we know that. The line was okay. It was, it, they had very good backs, but they just, you know, he, he wasn't working with a lot of dynamic receivers. But it, it, I'll be interested to see what he does when the real games start because there were some things that happened in the preseason because I watched all of his snaps in the preseason, and they looked very eerily similar to stuff that happened at Florida where if you get him a little rattled, he will he will just throw the ball up, and you saw that in the that in the first preseason game you saw that, and then you you, you see you saw it a little bit there in that last one, but I'm just wondering when it's not the vanilla defenses that you see in the preseason, what's it going to look like? Is there a best bet for the college football weekend? Do you partake, and if so, do you have a best bet? Well, my best bet was the under in Florida Utah, which I uh, did hit. I I, I thought Florida's going to cover. They didn't do that. But um, let's see. What are there's a few good ones coming up. Uh, UTSA is a, is a favorite against Houston, and, and I think a lot of people would look at that and go, "Oh, you know, Houston's a new Big Twelve team. They, I can't believe they're an underdog at home against Texas San Antonio." <laughs> no, no, no. They're going to lose to Texas San Antonio. They 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 went three overtimes last year. Houston barely squeaked it out. Houston uh, doesn't have Clayton Tune and Tank Dell anymore. You think about that. Clayton Toon may be the Cardinals starter. Tank Dell is the wide receiver one for the Texans right now. Like, he took that off the team, and they got pillars in the transfer portal. So that UTSA minus two is actually looking pretty attractive. Two things I want to throw at you, and then I want James to, if he has one more question, or if not, we'll let you get out of here. But uh, as always, I, I wind up stalking a Twitter timeline over the course of an interview and in the lead-up to it. So two things for you. One, if you haven't had it already, uh, the pimento cheese sandwich from Chick Fil A was wonderful. Um, and it's, is it good? Okay, it was. It was There's v- a chain in the South called Bojangles that that does a great sure. fried chicken biscuit, and they'll put pimento cheese on it for ninety nine cents, and it's spectacular. So I, I'm going to have to try that. The Chick Fil A. It was very very good. And secondly, uh, you tweeted this before you came on with us, but I'm right there with you. There's nothing like just a good, well iced cookie cake. By iced, I mean oh, icing. Yeah. I'm right there with you. So. We'll, we'll, we'll frame the debate for, for the listeners here. Um, Tom Van Heron, great reporter for ESPN, uh, he's critiquing uh, the, the various cakes and, and treats that the recruits are getting on their official visits. So one recruit tweeted out a picture of a cake that he got on his official visit to Oklahoma, and it's a, like a full-on two- or three-tier, I mean, basically like done up like a wedding cake. Very impressive looking. But – for years and years, the industry standard was you got to your official visit, which is you know where they they show you around the school and whiny and dine you. Uh, and when you got to your hotel room, there's always a cookie cake in the hotel room. <laughs> and so I said, "Is it bad that I just want the cookie cake over that?" 
Not at all. I'm right there with you. Just give me the cookie cake and I'm satisfied. Gentlemen, you too? Eddie? James? I'm with you. I'm with you. I mean, I'm not going to deny cookie cake. Ever. The audience can't see it, but there, there's the cake in question that he was talking oh, that about. That looked that fire. Was, oh, uh, hey, look, but, Andy, but, you're right. You're always right. But but that that wasn't the cookie cake. That was the regular cake. Put it up oh, to the camera, Jimmy. I, I I only have it on my desktop. Oh, my goodness. I'm sorry. But Eddie, <laughs> cookie cake or, or, or well-designed wedding cake? What are you going with? Uh, cookie cake all the way. All right. That's where I'm at. That's, that's where a, I'm at. That's a majority. That's what I'm talking about. There we go. Ice cream cake, if possible, but you can't really leave that in a hotel room. Like, that's one of those warm, kind of serve it out of the fridge. Warm up the so. cookie cake in the microwave and then put the ice cream on top, and then you're living large. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> See? I don't want to have it for dinner tonight. <laughs> well, look, Andy, we really appreciate you coming on, man. Uh, I would say good luck with the setup and the rotations this weekend of your TVs and your screens and your daughter's Latin because she's much smarter than me. But appreciate your time, my man. All right, thanks. Appreciate it, guys. All right, that was Andy Staples, National College Football Reporter for On3. You can follow him at Andy underscore Staples on Twitter. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Greg Rosenthal is our guest, joins us here on the DriveHuber.com studios. You can get his work at NFL.com. Greg, happy Friday to you. Yeah, what's going on? Not much. Just another day on the calm, cool seas that is <laughs> Colts coverage. You know, not, nothing too rocky here. It's pretty pretty calm on our end. <laughs> well, if they're not going to give you wins lately, they might as well give you a story <laughs> to write about for that one. Hey, no, no arguments there. That speaks to James Hart as he covers the this athletic in, in his own right true. for the Colts. Uh, Greg... As you saw things unfold for cutdown day, let's start with the Colts. Jonathan Taylor is not only not traded, but is on the pup and will miss the first four games. That added wrinkle to what's been the saga the last four or five months. What are your takeaways from it? Well, it's just confusing. You know, I I don't have a good idea. I don't think a lot of people have a good idea of, of what his health is right now. And when I hear the, the types of offers and the types of deal they're looking for, there's just a disconnect. This doesn't sound like a team that actually wants to get rid of him, which I get because he's so good, but it doesn't seem like a team where uh, they're ready to pay him uh, and that they let the emotions maybe get in the way. From, from the outside looking in, that, that's what it looks like. So, Greg, you've been around the NFL for you know, a number of years now. So how do you view – the return on investment when you try to keep a player that doesn't want to be there. Like, have, can you think of any examples throughout your mm. time where you're like, okay, we know this guy is great, but because he doesn't want to be here and it's become so much of a distraction, at some point mm. we have to cut ties, even though we don't want to, even even though we the, the CBA, the rules say we can keep you, but it's just not the, the value that we think you are isn't that because you're not cooperating. Well, this isn't the NBA, though, like where – Guys force their way out, but they're, but they're just so talented they have that leverage. Like, if a guy's talented enough, usually you don't get him at that big a discount. But the disconnect to me is if you're asking for that much in a trade return, why don't you just pay him? Because uh, you're asking for the, a trade return that w- that is commiserate to a guy that would be making $20 million a year. I'm not saying they should be paying him that, but, like, you're asking for first. You're asking for uh, a top 20 wide receiver reportedly in, in Jalen Waddle. Like, to me, that's – it's just crazy, and that's why you know I think Chris Ballard sounds like he's hopeful of settling these waters. Because to me, I actually think it still makes sense for this thing to calm down and for them to eventually pay him. Because I don't think fourteen million dollars a year or whatever it's going to be is a crazy amount to pay for Jonathan Taylor. Do you think it's more likely though that they know they value him and the type of player that he is? Do you think it's more likely that they say, well, from a financial standpoint? It's cheaper just to tag him next offseason, assuming he makes the field this year and performs at a high level. Does it make more sense for teams to weaponize the tag in that way, particularly at running back when you're looking at $10 million, maybe $11 million a year on that first year of the tag? Uh, sure, and that's why you know I think they went into this process, him coming off of down year, thinking – Let's see it, and then we can revisit the contract, and then we have the tag in our back pocket if we need it. Uh, you see Jacobs and Barkley, two you know, similar statured uh, running backs playing on that tag this year. So, yeah, that makes sense from a, a team perspective. I, I really think 
him coming off the down year when he was out there, the line playing poorly and him being hurt, really has complicated this whole thing. And it, it had the team, uh, I think, in a negotiating stance that they just weren't going to get out of and, and him being unhappy. Like, James, you got a better idea of it. Like, what, what is the local feeling of, like, where his health is actually at? Do you think he, he will be able to play? Do you think he could play if there wasn't the contract stuff going on? I, I want to know. Yeah, I think – the how do I word this I think a lot of it has to do with I don't want to be here anymore and do I want to break my body down for a team that doesn't value me so I don't know how hurt or not hurt he is because he hasn't spoken to the media since June so I can't speak on his health but I will say when he had the surgery back in January we talked to him in April about it. He said it was a perfect success. And at the time, no one deemed that this was going to be some long-term, drawn-out rehab and lingering issue. So the elephant in the room is the contract dispute. And I do think had some money been involved, maybe we do see you know, mm. like a TJ Hawkinson type of thing where he got paid from the Vikings. I believe he's the highest paid tight end right now. And... He probably feels much better. Like the ear infection he had, eh, maybe it isn't as bad as he thought it was. You know what I mean? Like that's that's kind of where I'm at on it now. That isn't a report. That's just the, my, my gut feeling because I just don't know what to think. And unless the guy talks, it's hard to gauge where he is. And right now, I think a lot of it has to do with feelings hurt and, okay, how do I make sure I still get my money without putting my body on the line for a team I don't want to play for? That's yeah, I think it went sideways. Look, I work at the NFL Network. We appreciated the content Jim Mercer gave us that day where he, he goes and gets Jonathan Taylor into his va- into his bus, and then he comes out, and he says one thing, and Taylor leaks another. And that felt like the day it went sideways because that's the day where, like, if Jonathan Taylor wasn't happy with the Colts before that, just emotionally, personally, um, that seemed to put it into another negative level that, that, that you hate to see because it's not even just about money now. It feels like it's about respect, and you don't know how to, how to handle that. Greg Rosenthal with us, covers the NFL for NFL.com. Greg, you mentioned this, that it, it's not the NBA. It's an entirely different league, and James and I have had these conversations over the last couple of weeks. So let's use Jonathan Taylor as the example here, given the pertinence of the situation here in Indianapolis, if a player like Jonathan Taylor is in this contract dispute, this holdout, and he turns sour in a way that you see in the NBA where he's flat out like, I don't care, I'm not playing, like I'm not playing for you guys. Is a team's mentality in today's NFL to acquiesce to that? Or is it still, we have the tag and we're going to tag you, and if you don't want to play for us, then I guess you're not playing football. I think generally with the NFL, they draw a harder line. Now, it depends on the organization. Look, I I think if they were getting a second-round pick offer and other teams were in this situation, I think a lot of teams would have just taken it. I think they would see, yeah, that's a fair enough offer. Let's let's move forward. Because the only reason why you wouldn't take that to me is you really, really value the player and you really want them long-term. And maybe they think, look, we can get a better deal in week six, week seven. Maybe he'll come back and play and look good, and then there's a trade deal, and and there might be something uh, to that. But I'm confused by the whole situation. I've actually been looking for, like, a factual answer of, like, how much does he actually need to play this year to get uh, an official year of service qualified. And, and there's actually some interpretation as far as I can understand in that rule. Like he might only need to go out there for, for one game and he could still get paid. And he doesn't want to get suspended because he's making a lot of money this year. He's only made, you know, only quote unquote uh, under $3 million in his career so far through three years. And this year he's making uh, way more than that $4 million. I don't think he's going to get suspended, but at some point that, could be a threat that the the Colts have in their pocket too if he just refuses to go play. Lord have mercy! If they tried to suspend him, the <laughs> NFLPA I feel like would ride in on like a horseback to defend that man, and I would have the Get biggest the story just dropped in my lap. So to pivot away from that, Greg, because as you can tell, I've had a great time covering all yeah. things JT. It is the most talked about body part in Indiana, I will say. I, I think that's a fair statement. <laughs> <laughs> but the other guy here who's drawn a lot of headlines is Anthony Richardson, the young quarterback, the raw quarterback, and as Ed Dodds, the Colts assistant general manager, put it, the kid who has blue-chip talent without the blue-chip resume. So what is your take on 
them drafting him where they did and believing that he could be that next Jalen Hurts, you know, Josh Allen, perhaps Patrick Mahomes type. I I loved it. I was so happy to see him with a coach um, like Shane Steichen, who I really have so much respect for what he did in Philadelphia, but also what he did in in San Diego. He can do it all. Like, look, he made, he he was one of Phillip Rivers' favorite coaches too. And like, I I just think he's a guy that's going to build around his player strengths. And so I looked at Richardson and I I thought he'd go there or Seattle. And I thought he was worth it because the two things I I love out of a quarterback is, you know, you love the running ability that he has because it just gives him a higher floor than most people. Um, and his running ability is special. These guys are coming out each year, and there's guys, you know, they're almost players we haven't seen before. But to me, as a runner, he can be one of the greatest running quarterbacks of all time. But he also has great pocket presence. And to me, that's like I'm an old-school Patriots fan, and that's Tom Brady. That's you know, To me, being able to maneuver in the pocket is maybe the number one translatable thing you can look at it in college avoiding sacks that translates the pros and to me he has that now he's not he's not overly accurate and he's certainly got a lot to work on but the fact that he has that in the pocket presence and is so tough to sack those are great traits to start from and he's got a great coach so i'm i'm as excited to watch him play as just about any player in the nfl this year the colts the colts are going to be interested even if they don't win a lot of games they're going to be fun to watch nfl.com's greg rosenthal with us you can follow him on twitter at greg rosenthal Greg, speaking of that, you had tweeted a week or so ago that the Colts have already transformed themselves from least watchable team to box office. Uh, I know a lot of NBA writers like to have their their league pass teams, like must-see teams throughout the season. If you were to give us four or five teams, but with Sunday ticket flair and flavor that are must-see teams this year, who would those be? Well, yeah, I I put the Colts there because I just want to see Richardson. I am fascinated to see this new-look Ravens team. Um, I've always enjoyed, you know, how can you not like watching Lamar, but Lamar Jackson with three really talented receivers suddenly when he didn't have any last year, assuming Rashad Bateman's healthy, and a new offensive system. Uh, They're, to me, about as different a team uh, coming into this year that has the same head coach quarterback. So they're up there. You know, the commanders are up there. I love that defensive line. To me, that could be the best defensive line in all of football. And I think Sam Howell uh, could be a fun young player for them. And then I- I'm really curious to watch this year two of Geno Smith in Seattle, uh, adding Jackson Smith and Jigba. I really like the, their draft pick, their running back, Zach Charbonnet there. They're a pretty complete team. I just love the way Geno spins that ball. So those are those are three teams near the top of my list. You're a true NFL fan and a true <laughs> true connoisseur. NFL.com needs to give you a raise because you got through that. I'm locked into those teams now, and that was without the Chiefs, the Eagles, or the Bengals being listed out there. Bravo. <laughs> well, you know what? You know I'm watching them anyway. Time, but yeah, you're right. I, I try to look for the, the diamonds in the rough, but Philly's up there too, I got to admit. So we're chatting with Greg Rosenthal. He is is a co-host for Around the NFL podcast for NFL.com. Make sure to check that out. Greg, I have to ask about the guy who's on Hard Knocks, Aaron Rodgers. What do you Mm -hmm. think of the fit in New York with the Jets and also what their potential is? I know there's a lot of hype right now, and there should be. He's looked pretty good so far in preseason, and obviously the Hard Knocks angle gives you something to kind of salivate over. But are we expecting too much from them, or, or how do you gauge it? No, I, the AFC is so loaded that it's tough. There's going to be a couple teams that are really disappointed. I think you could list off seven teams that have a realistic chance of saying, hey, we could make the Super Bowl if everything would go right. I'd put the Jets in that category, but i put the Dolphins there too, the Bills obviously. I'd put the Ravens there. Uh, the, the Steelers you could even throw in there along with the Bengals, the Chiefs, the Chargers I would throw in there personally. And the, the Jets have a great baseline on defense. I don't think their defense can go wrong. Man, that secondary is just its special, and their depth on their defensive line. I think Rodgers is going to be good. I think Garrett Wilson is going to be great. Two guys don't make an offense, though, and I do have questions if they have enough around Rodgers and Wilson. So that's the line. That's the secondary receivers. That's the running game in terms of the, the blocking. And that's the coaching with Nate Hackett, who's not coming off a great year and, and I do have questions about. So I don't know if their offense is going to be quite good enough to go make the Super Bowl, but I'd be pretty surprised if they don't win double digits. 
Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. I want to get your perspective on one thing nationally outside of the Colts. Greg Rosenthal with us. You find him on NFL.com. Do you think that football fans see Chris Jones this year? Mm, yes, yes. Too many times we we uh, we overrate these holdouts, and they usually end right around now. I would say like they were usually end around Monday or, or Saturday. And Chris Jones does seem a little more dug in, and the Chiefs seem a little more dug in than usual in these situations. Like I, I kind of expect a Nick Bosa contract before the season starts. I expect a Joe Burrow contract perhaps before the season starts. I don't necessarily expect Chris Jones, um, but I still put. I did very much expect him to play this year. And if you had to put an over under, like I would expect you'd see him on the field in September sometime. And, and if you told me Monday he signs this contract, that wouldn't be surprising either. Cause that's usually what happens in situations. How valuable is he to that team though? Cause I know mm. the conversation is, Oh, well we didn't have Tyreek that year and we still won. And, but you know, obviously I would imagine that Chris Jones does a lot of different things for the chiefs than Tyreek Hilton. Right. They're, they're built um, offensively on Reed and Mahomes and, and now the offensive line. They can survive without a receiver. Defensively, they're counting on their stars. That's a, not a good-looking defensive line. That is not good in terms of their pass rush, whether it's on the edge or the interior without Chris Jones. He was playing at a top-five defensive player in the, in the league level uh, last year. So I, I think it's a huge loss for them. They're a team, though, that defensively, Man, they're well coached, and they always improve throughout the course of the season. They always manage to coach up that secondary. So I don't think they look at September or October like most teams do. Like As long as Chris Jones is in there and he's back to where he needs to be, and I expect that, they're thinking about November, December, and mostly January. That is crazy. That it lets you know the power of Patrick Mahomes. It's a beautiful <laughs> feeling, man. Been waiting for him my like, whole life. We'll be fine. Oh, yep. well, we'll just see you, you know, when, when things get real serious for us because regardless, we're probably going to win Head four to of our first six games. Head to Cabo, Chris. <laughs> just as long as you're there in December and January, <laughs> things will be fine. Greg, last thing on my end, your advice to Colts fans with the Anthony Richardson experience this Ooh. year. And yeah, have patience. I uh, enjoy the ride too, though, because like him on this rookie contract, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to seeing how the, the offensive line uh, comes together under Steichen too, because I think the coaching there up front is going to be really uh, important. But you got to be patient because the thing that worries me is I'm not so sure how good this defense is going to be, and he's going to be put in a tough spot some games trying to come from behind, and that's that's going to be tough. There will be some ugly weeks, and I think there'll be some really fun weeks. Last one from me, Greg. We've talked a lot about running backs, the depreciated market, all those things. But how excited should we be to see Bijan Robinson out there for the Falcons and what he means for like that new age of running back when it comes to being a dynamic runner, a great route runner, a great pass catcher, things of that nature? Yeah, I, I was telling everyone, I was trying to tell my kids in their fantasy draft, like I didn't even understand why he was falling to 10, 11, 12 in these fantasy drafts. I mean, I think he's a good pick for offensive player of the year to lead the league in rushing. People don't understand he's getting drafted to – maybe the best running game in the league that they got that thing that locked down in terms of their offensive line and the scheme. And he is just special to me. He's a, he was a better prospect really than anyone that's come out since Peterson. Uh, Peterson was another level, but I, I would put him ahead of Barkley and what we've seen so far and what I've heard so far at the pro level, I, I think he's going to deliver and, and they're just going to be old school, 1970s, 80s football, just running all over people. I expect to see the wing tee at some point then. <laughs> Greg, we appreciate your time, man, and you take it easy. Thanks, Greg. All right. Thanks for having me. Again, that was Greg Rosenthal. You can check out his work at NFL.com. He's also a podcast host over there. Listen to that. It's around the NFL podcast.